0: Hey, everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. Hey, now. And today we are talking about the uh, book from Goodman Games. Uh, it's a collection of essays that came with uh, how to write adventure modules that don't suck. Um, yeah, this was like a bonus material. Yeah, this was like bonus material. This one's called Our Favorite Adventure Modules and What We Learn from Them. Uh, like I said, it's a book of. Uh, what? Sixteen essays? Seventeen essays?
1: Uh, it is oh, no, seventeen 14. essays. Yeah, uh, it's uh, by by authors that were contributed to the parent book, and uh, more or less it, it is what it says on the cover. Mm-hmm. Sometimes more, sometimes less.
0: All right. There were a couple of essays mm-hmm. that didn't really get specific about what was learned from the favorite adventure module. Right. Um, so pretty much what I figured the best way to approach this was, um, look at some of the overall themes that these authors and, and adventure module writers, uh, learned through their adventures and, and, you know, give our own perspective. Right. Because, um, you know, both of us have been playing for a long time and, uh, we create adventures for Microphones Madness. That's one of the benefits of an actual, actual play podcast. Is you get you create adventures all the time. Yeah, we we play test a lot of shit. We we go through and play test a lot of shit. Um, and we we we've played some campaigns. We've played some individual modules, and we've done a lot of original stuff. So we'll be giving the benefit of our experiences. Uh, in relation to some of these things that we've learned.
1: Yeah. Now, here, here's a question before we get mm-hmm. into it, because uh, a lot of these are classic AD&D dungeons.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: not Very. all of them, but a lot of them are. And and by classic, I mean like like
0: Tomb of Horrors. Um, you know, uh, a significant percentage of them written by Gary Gygax e, himself. E
1: Gary Gygax. Uh, the slavers are in there. Um, mm-hmm. The giants are in there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the the first one is the tomb of um,
0: the lost uh, caverns of yeah, uh, of, of,
1: of Sawjack Kath, or however you want to yeah. pronounce that. So, so I mean, these are like things that you know. Popular dungeons, it's not mm-hmm. like he's picking up some obscure thing from you know the 90s, right? <laughs> these are all like OG. shit How many of these have you either played or read through so that um, you, were, you had like a, a somewhat working knowledge of the module that they were talking about? To be
0: perfectly honest, um, let's see. Other other than uh, John Hook's contribution, the random dungeon generator, I have never played or looked at any of these. Really? Um, yep. Yeah, my experience with uh, D&D back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, uh, was all, with the exception of the um, sample adventure in the red box, uh, was all original stuff. Ah, that's crazy because we played
1: almost all of these (laughs) or read or or I've read through them subsequently.
0: Mm. And even even picking back up in the late 90s, early 2000s with with third edition, um, we pretty much played uh, just straight up made up games, all original stuff interesting mm-hmm. well nah, that's just that's just that's how, how it that's how that's how it happens
1: Yeah, yeah but, you know it's um there's one of these one of these essays in here actually talks about the papacy from the early days um, mm-hmm. this is the one about campaigns
0: yes the 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 um the, the lack of modules for certain levels of characters, all the famous right. ones were for you know, levels eight and above. Right.
1: And, and there, there definitely used to be this conceit in Dungeons & Dragons that you started at level one and worked your way up. And, and, and unless you were playing a pre-generated character from that module, mm-hmm. you know, you, you didn't create a seventh-level character to play. In the right, module. You worked up to seventh level, and then you were able to do it. So mm-hmm. nowadays, you know, and it's probably a lot more difficult to do this technically nowadays than it was back then. But nowadays, like people do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, the um, the cursed earth, the uh, the scenario, the campaign that you wrote. We started at what at like third, or
0: fifth, yep, or something? third level. Yep. Yeah. Third, th- used to guys started at third level, um, and generally speaking, I have found that 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 was my that was the comfort zone for a lot of players, and myself as a GM, um, third level, I didn't feel like I had to dumb things down with zero level bandits and kobolds and stuff like that.
1: There is an art to to making a low level encounter. Mm-hmm. that is interesting without yep. you know just you know oh there's seven goblins mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm not saying i'm i'm good at that art but there is definitely an art and i i think there's there's certain situations where you can do that um and we will get into that because one of those is actually mentioned in here mm-hmm. so and i've looked at a bunch of these um not like read-throughs but like you know, some of the ones that I've either played or read through before, I've like take, just like perused through mm-hmm. while I was reading this,
0: right? Well, I came back to uh, you know, the TSR Dungeons and Dragons, you know, through of course, third edition was Wizards of the Coast, but I had started um, D20 system with Star Wars role playing game mm-hmm. and the original core rule book. It was suggested all characters started at third level
1: really? because
0: yeah because first and second levels were just too weak for your average star wars game interesting um so so that carried over when i started playing third edition is just okay we'll do it the same way as in you know star wars start a character at third level hmm. and sure. and the level progression was pretty much the same and you know you got you had a character who was fairly confident, competent. Uh, really, I think a, a third level character in third edition is comparable to a first level character in fifth edition.
1: Yeah, for, fifth edition seems to have heartier um, characters. They give you a lot more options as to what a character can do, just in oh. terms of spells and damage. And, mm-hmm. and you know, but a first you...
0: level character in the red box.
1: Uh, you were, um, <laughs> you, you, yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny because you know Goodman Games, um, who you know produced this book, um, they publish um, Dungeon Crawl Classics, mm-hmm. which has the infamous funnel system for creating characters, where you start off with like five or six zero level characters that are like quickly randomly generated mm-hmm. and you go through a zero level, level meat grinder and, um, whoever makes it out the other side becomes a first level character. Mm-hmm. That's what um, people think of first level AD
0: and D characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that I don't like. I didn't. That's the other thing I didn't really like about uh, Warhammer Fantasy. How you start off as kind of a, a, a nobody, you know, like a right, whatever sheep herder or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then uh, you have yeah. to you have to progress through the. Uh, Insanely difficult leveling process of Warhammer Fantasy. Yeah, to get to be first level in a class.
1: I mean, that is one thing about AD&D. They try to be somewhat fair. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, some of the dungeon design itself is like super, like cheap. I would say. Right. But um, but they try and be fair with with uh, pitting your characters against um, leveled foes. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah, Warhammer is just like, nope,
0: we're going to throw whatever we want
1: at you, because it's a grim, dark world.
0: That's right. That's right. Now, the first essay, um, a bit about Sogjakanth, uh, my favorite module, with a caveat, uh, this is by Lloyd Metcalf. Uh, it seems to me that the main... Uh, the main lesson to be gained here, and it's something that was repeated in a couple of other essays, so we'll just like count all three of those at the same time, um, was was to be open, uh, vibrant, vibrant in your in in the descriptions, but allow the room for the GM to play. Yeah, um, um, and that was that was also echoed um, by Lester Smith and by John Hook, right in that, their that, essays. That kiss is the acronym keep it simple
1: stupid mm-hmm. um we used to say keep it simple shithead right but same same thing keep uh, it simple where, yeah where um really when, when you read these modules um some of them go into like huge huge detailed descriptions about you know genealogies and like you know the color of the lights that are flickering reflecting off the pond and the ripples in the pond and all this just huge amounts of color commentary Mm. and you know the kind of pigeonholes and that's what they're saying uh any gm who's running it into like thinking a certain way and we're asked the the modules that are in question which is uh which is uh uh, so death uh the random dungeon generator right
0: yep and uh Thief's Quest, which was a uh, the fantasy trip adventure. Right.
1: Um, where, you know, the, the descriptions are very short. And if you recall any of these older uh, modules, they are. I mean, you'll have, like, a small couple of lines of, of color. And you're, the GM basically said, you're in a, you know, 30 by 30 room. Um, there's a reflecting pool, blah, blah, blah. You know, told you what was in there. And it was up to the GM To embellish and say what they wanted to say. And it gave you like room to improvise as a GM. And it also gave the players room to react to certain things.
0: Yes. Yes. Which is, which is part and parcel of a role playing game. Yes. You know, you're not just playing a role, you're playing a role as well. You have a character that is more than just a block of numbers. Um, but I find that uh, there are some some types of adventures adventures that um are very specific and you know the character has to go from point A to point B to point C. Um, and if they screw up a role, you know, that there's a missing clue. Right. Well, that's a lot of a lot of early Call of Cthulhu was like that. Yep. We've we've mentioned that a couple of times, uh, talking about some old Call of Cthulhu modules. Um and you know it's almost like the gm is really a proxy for whoever wrote the adventure rather right. than an active participant in in the game that's occurring right then right
1: um and and i could see where some gms would want that just because as when, when you're running a game you have a lot on your plate mm-hmm. um and you know if if you have a crutch like uh, floor descriptions, <laughs> right? Um, you know, it, it does help. I generally don't like reading the flavor text word for word. I like mm-hmm. to embellish, you know, myself. Mm-hmm. So um, now,
0: now, uh, one of the things uh, that was that was mentioned was uh, it, particularly in the thief's quest, and we're we're giving that. Because uh Lester Smith doesn't quite remember the name of the adventure that he played. Right. It was uh <laughs> it was a fantasy trip uh,
1: solo thing, so and it was it was from a uh issue of the space gamer, I think, which mm-hmm. was Steve, Steve Jackson's um uh company magazine. Right, but, right. And and these old magazines like Dragon, White Dwarf, Dungeon had like modules, mm-hmm. like mini modules in them. Uh, for different games yep so so this was like a mini module that was in in um, one of these magazines and he said it was like four rooms and his character ended up going into town and hiring help and doing all this stuff that wasn't in the module right but the but the GM you know had enough to go on from from what was written to be able to fill in those blanks
0: right Right, because it was really, it was a solo adventure that was written much in the same vein as uh, Alone Against the Flames or something like that. Yeah. Or a fantasy book.
1: It's funny because um, TFT just, you know, they're about to fulfill their Kickstarter for Melee Wizard Fantasy Trip. Mm -hmm. And um, a couple of the solo adventures from that are are part of that. Mm -hmm. and, And that's exactly how they are. Um, you know, you have you start out at one and you read the thing and you have your choice. Do you A do this, B, do that?
0: It's very programmed. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and you A- choose your own
0: adventure book with some uh, random mechanics thrown in. Yeah,
1: more or less. And this GM had the um had the wherewithal to, you know, think outside the box. Mm-hmm. Which is really cool. And I know, I know I've done that. Um, and there were definitely parts of Nippon no Kage that were like total like on the spot I had to figure out what the hell to do because really you know when I'm writing it for myself unless it's a set piece where I want a certain thing to happen <clears throat> I don't care how you get to, to your goal right you know you could do it by hook by crook fight you know argue sneak whatever and you know my notes are just like um you know abe questions everybody right um, and he's going to be suspicious of them or whatever happens after that happens after that and you guys went underneath the the place and i had no idea what was going on there i just like yeah there's a crawl space entrance because you were looking for a crawl space entrance mm-hmm. i wasn't going to not give
0: it to you right right um you know you mentioned that in nippon no kage um when i ran doom vault out of the icrpg core book um which i was actually just listening to the other day um that is it, that in that was two and a half hours of gameplay but it took up a single page
1: yeah you were saying um, after we played that that we went totally
0: off the page on that well, you guys got to you guys got to the final room, and this is the way Hanker Infernale designs designs adventures, particularly for this book, is that it's pretty linear, and he gives you a room that says this is room number room number one, and this is what's in the room, the basic thing gives you you know encounters, suggested encounters, whatever you guys got to the last room, and you went an entirely different route then i guess the the you could expect a player to go instead of fighting everyone in the room you guys decided to disrupt the ritual and at that point i just closed the book and let it go right and well we, because
1: we, you we guys got, it was we a went in the in the dnd
0: right <laughs> and it was such a brilliant plan and the way you guys came up with it on the fly was was absolutely brilliant and it that became one of one of the favorite single sessions I've played with you guys just because, you know, it went off the rails, but it went off the rails in such a brilliant way that I was like, you know what? Screw the book, close the book, throw the book out, and let's just play this scenario the way you guys are doing it. I'll make it up as I go along.
1: <laughs> and that's that's an
0: important thing, is for for a GM because you know, you say it all the time. It's like herding cats. Yeah. And, you know, you're going to have players who come up with, who think outside of the box. Like, um, you know, I'm going to drop kick a guy into another guy's weapon. Gamma World. You know, there's no rule for that. Right. So, Fastball special. That's right. fastballs. special. There's no rule for that, in Call, especially in Call of Cthulhu because nobody does. Yeah and that
1: that actually that encounter went completely like sideways from what I I would expect and what the book kind of like led you to expect mm-hmm. um, oh, and from what a typical call of cthulhu encounter um you know leads you to expect but like once again you know that's what you guys are doing I, I'm going to if it's you know feasible and the dice say yes yeah why not why not?
0: And and I remember how that went. And if you guys go back and listen to uh, my massive of playthrough, playthrough, you'll catch it. Um, it all started when I typed a message of, "What's your strength?" Yep. And you saw it, and you knew what my plan was right. I'm goddamn
1: you right away! <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: goddamn you <good> right away! <laughs>
0: Because I knew this character was, like, built pretty darn beefy for a 6th for a edition Call of Cthulhu character. And I knew my size was not very big. Yeah. But, but my character was the tanky character. So it was like, okay, how do I get my character into melee range of this villain as quickly as possible? And, you know, it's an AP podcast. So in the quickest and most entertaining way possible. That yeah. could possibly go wrong.
1: Well, and that's the thing. Is like as a GM, when you're confronted with this, because it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, the best thing to do is to roll with it. And if you're not quite sure how to roll with it, because it is outside, an outside of the, the box kind of thing, just pause for a second and think it through. Mm-hmm. And like I said, if it's feasible... And the dice let you do it. Why wouldn't be able to do it? And I think that's exactly what all these essays are saying. You know, maybe not a fastball special, but you know, being able to go to a town that doesn't exist and go to a tavern and like ask questions about you know the the
0: place you're about to rob. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, you know the the place or, by the rob- and- or how, to,
1: how to, or how to sneak your your friends into a a city that is uh, basically. Um, has an APB out on all of you.
0: Right, exactly. And and you bring, and it's, it gives gives the GM a, an opportunity to bring the players in to help solve that problem yeah. of how should we, you know, how, how can we do this you know, you know, mechanically and, you know, you just go, okay, you know, what's, you know, what's your strength? What's your size? Yeah, you what's, your, know, what's, what's your fast what's your, talk? Right. What's your fast talk? Okay. That's what, yeah.
1: that's what you have these skills for, and then like even in in AD and D, it's it's even easier because none of that is accounted for. So you just role play it, and and you know like if it's an encounter where you're trying to convince the bartender to to uh, sneak your buddies in in soy sauce containers, there's actually a chart for
0: NPC reactions that you use. Mm-hmm that's right it's just a a charisma check
1: yeah and and like a lot of things are just like real simple checks but Mm -hmm. but i mean you just have to be able to boil down to like what do they want to do and how can you do that mechanically within the system you're using and and generally if if you're familiar with the rules you can you can always wing something even if it's like not quite right You can you know make it fit it's it's just a a game right it's not a huge deal <laughs> it's not like you know uh you're deflating footballs or anything
0: <laughs> yeah um now you had the the second one k c w W. uh with secrets of the slaver stockade uh the thing that they took away from this module was. That it had great villains great hands art. a lot a lot of moving parts like the setting itself was alive yes
1: and i 100 agree with this essay mm-hmm. uh, that like a lot of old school uh dungeon crawls are run where you go into a room you do the things that you do in the room go to the next room and right. every room is a static entity into and of itself and a lot of them are designed that way i mean a lot of them really are like like why why are there like seven goblins sitting around a fire in this room in this random dungeon
0: right where do they go because a, a wizard did it right right where do they go to eat where you know where do they go to eat where do they sleep you know who lights the torches but like this
1: the um a1 i think is the one they're talking about was um a fort more or less it was like a stronghold for these slavers and when you went into a room and started fighting well you know down the hall there's some more of them who have a chance of hearing what's going on and they're going to react and mm-hmm. and you know that's what would happen like if this were reality right you know if you would have your your allies would come to your aid or flee if it's an overwhelming force you know all depending right and and i think that that it's important to take that and nowadays um especially like fifth edition stuff is designed this way mm-hmm. and they'll, they'll actually put that in the um in the encounters you know uh, noise from this encounter will attract from room blah 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 room, blah blah blah
0: right right it's something that we used in um star wars quite frequently, uh, you guys would go in, and there were stormtroopers in the room, and a firefight would break out, and it was like, okay, you guys have, roll a D4, you guys have three rounds before reinforcements show up.
1: I just did it in Gamma World. Mm-hmm. I just had, you guys were in a fight with uh, some insects, and, you know, reinforcement insects came cruising in to see what the hell the noise was. Mm-hmm
0: and And, yeah, it does it, you you have to have things like that, like timers and and tricks and reinforcements and things people that move around in the dungeon rather than just random wandering monsters. Yeah. you know, you kind of give the characters a point of being there. I hate wandering monsters mm-hmm. I, the wandering, wandering
1: monsters. monsters suck so hard, and it's so much easier just to have like your the stock of things that are in the scenario itself, react.
0: Mm hmm You know, uh, the wandering monster roll on table, you know, table three in Appendix C, and you get giant shark. Yeah. Yeah. You're wandering down the hall, and there's a giant shark in the middle of the hall.
1: Yeah, I don't like wandering monsters in dungeons. I guess, like, in outdoor encounters, it makes more sense because, you know, you can run into... Um uh, mm-hmm. you know, a a small cadre of hobgoblins who are out on a raid or whatever happened to run by them. Um but you know, in a dungeon. Mm-hmm. Why why is there why is there a, a you know an owlbear running around in this fucking dungeon? That's the fucking cover of the monster manual from
0: from first edition, right? Right. <laughs> an owlbear underground. Right and Albauer underground. Now, uh, Michael Curtis and Jim uh, Wampler, they kind of went the opposite direction in what they took away from their favorite modules, and that was kind of get to let it get weird, let it get chaotic. Um, you know, do the incongruous things that don't make any damn sense, because that creates the 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 memory of it. You know, um Curtis also says, you know, pull out all the stops with your literary references and and don't be afraid to get chaotic. But they also tend to, you know, agree to get weird, do the nonsensical stuff. You know, don't be afraid to get silly.
1: You can get silly and everything, and but it doesn't have to be like um illogically silly. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. But he's talking about Castle Amber, which is like, a, you know, I actually never played Castle Amber. That was a little after my my time mm-hmm. um, with AD&D. Right. Um, but I mean, from just reading his essay, it seems like there was like some wonky stuff happening.
0: Right. It's very, um, very Clark Ashton Smith. Very, very much in the vein of weird fiction and those early pulp magazines, that sort of thing.
1: Um that's, and, and that's great, but but there has in, unless you're like doing like some like weird, you're in an alternate, you're in the mojo verse or something. Mm-hmm. I like to have some sort of like continuity inside the dungeon. So it's not all I guess you could do it randomly, but have like the class of encounter in there make certain sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make Does that make sense?
0: And yeah. That, yeah. That's just like me. like your owlbear underground or the randomly generated giant shark, um. You know, but then again, you know, if you go back to you know the the playing it open and playing it loose and fast, you know, okay, you know, a good GM can come up with a, a way for there to be a giant shark randomly encountered. Yeah, that's true. Underground. That is-
1: I say this fully well thinking about that Gamma World thing that you guys are currently in the middle of where Mm. it is almost random rooms and random encounters that have nothing whatsoever to do with each other inside these random rooms. Mm. But I have it tied together at the end of it all. Right. And there's going to be a reason. It's not just like, oh, well, first there was like this house, like this apartment Mm -hmm. (laughs) with uh, with the dog people and then the next was like an open sewer. <laughs> what the fuck?
0: Right. Well, I mean, it's also interesting that uh you mentioned Gamma World because uh Wampler's uh module was the Expedition in the Barrier Peaks, which was like the old AD&D book, a, a mashup of genres. It had a little bit of gamma world in these types of games. Yeah, I think there were there mm-hmm. were instructions originally in D D how to integrate gamma world and uh, boot hill which i believe was a western
1: yeah boot hill uh those are in the original dmg with the freak on the cover
0: mm-hmm. yep and and there were there were conversion rules for bringing aspects of those games into your world or vice versa because you could always reverse engineer a conversion guide Right. to bring in aspects of Dungeons and Dragons into Gamma World or Boot Hill and create a weird western. Yep. And 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 that's that's fun as well, genre mashup. We did a little bit of that with uh Final Flight of Jonathan Roxton. Mm-hmm. Um where, you know, you guys were with you know, playing um you know Lost World Pulp that turned into sword and sorcery that turned into there's a fucking crashed UFO in the center of the earth, (laughs) you know? And yeah, I decided to, to get a little weird with it. But you know, it's one of those things. It's, it's interesting to, to kind of have things that seem a little out of place. Um, And you get kind of that anime Style going on. Um, I'm reminded of the uh, the series "Those Who Hunt Elves." Never, never watched that. Um, it's it's a little bit on the sexist side, but uh, it's three characters from modern day Japan get sucked in along with a tank into a fantasy world, mm. and the spells the spell to send them home uh was broken apart and inscribed as marks on so many random elves' bodies uh-huh. so pretty much the the main heroes had to travel the world writing wrongs and stripping elves to <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> to find the the pieces of the spell to bring it home get them home and the whole the whole show is played for laughs, of course. Right, um, but you know it's just it, that that sort of thing. And of course, the one character drives the tank and has this like fetish with military gear. So you have these sword and sorcery characters, and these Dungeons and Dragons style demi human uh, creatures, you know, waving their big battle axes around when the school girl with the sniper rifles up on the hill and just takes them out <laughs> interesting or they drive the tank through the castle wall or something like that but you know that that type of genre mashup can can be fun uh, kind of like the way you did uh, elric in uh, and call of cthulhu in in massive Effect briefly
1: yeah i totally forgot All about me. that
0: where the protagonists, the party, got their hands on some uh, demon-enhanced weapons.
1: <laughs> got their hands on some game-breaking weapons. more or less what it was.
0: I don't know. That coat was pretty darn handy. <laughs> that coat was pretty darn handy. Yeah. Some of it was okay. Made, made my pc legendary in tibet because a mountain fell on him and he walked away
1: <laughs> a lot of things fell on him
0: and he walked away or hobbled away
1: yeah
0: um so the next one we have is uh gene Rob rabe 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 gene rabe I was- uh who chose the module uh, a trinity of modules that uh they managed to uh like eke every last possible minute of gameplay out of
1: yeah i three through five
0: yep Pharaoh oasis of the white palm, and lost tomb of Moloch. Wow. and the the uh main lesson the take away from this is setting as character, yeah. And that is that is a great thing when you get people so invested in the world mm-hmm. uh that they want to explore and they want to uh you know search every inch of this this landscape.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Um some some of the best things that we've done um as a group have been, you know, in odd settings that are uh that you know just make you want to be there Mm. um you know i'm thinking of um final flight what was you know hollow earth and it was really cool it was a great like thing to be in it's like this weird hollow earth um pulp setting playing
0: call of cthulhu where it's always noon
1: yeah, always noon and there was like, you know, surprises around every corner from like Yetis to Nazis though they were <laughs> Weimer. So. <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of those who hunt elves, there were tanks in the in the, the Hollow Earth too.
1: Yeah. Tanks and and fucking sopwiths. Mhm.
0: No, they were uh
1: They were Fokker.
0: Yep. Fokker triwings. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was great too because uh, you guys fought dinosaurs in the first few episodes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and and really, it was like that that setting, you know, made a lot of it. I mean, there were times when it got really silly, mm-hmm. like when Godot showed up.
0: Right. Well, right. that was a completely improvised moment just to give you guys um, a memory. You know, it was only supposed to be like a bit. And then go on to the actual adventure for the night, but it had, it turned out to go on for like 30 minutes. Yeah. I was talking to Godot, who was waiting for his friends.
1: Right. I mean, but I mean we were able to we went to um Chambers'
0: uh Yon right? from, from um, yeah. uh Maker of Moons and the Slayer of Souls mm-hmm. or a version of it. Right. So
1: you know you had you had a lot of lost cities. It was great. It was a great setting and it made you want to be there and made you want to shit. My character stayed there. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. Your your character and Nick's character decided to stay there and uh become become the warlord from DC Comics.
1: <laughs> but but your setting as a as you know as a big part of of the the um module or adventure doesn't have to be as exotic as you know the hollow earth right or the you know, desert you know we in in this you know it, it helps when 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 it's you know something that's like off the beaten path i guess mm-hmm. uh, from, from your normal setting of whatever game you're playing
0: right right and it's a it's a key factor in 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 a game that we're probably going to be be talking about in a couple of weeks here uh punk town yeah uh punk town itself is is a as a character uh mm-hmm. like los angeles is in Rob, um in uh, Raymond chandler you know, Right. It's, it's a character or new york is in in woody allen mhm it's, you know, the setting, the setting is, the setting is a, a character itself. Right. And how people interact in the, in the setting.
1: And, and it's and really hard to do.
0: The setting. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really hard to do is, is create that the, where people are just excited to be in the world. And you right. can have a session where you spend 30 minutes talking to a random passerby by. <laughs>
1: I, you know, I, I guess that's probably the appeal of having uh, standard settings for games, mm-hmm. um, you know, like Rokugan or um, um, the, the Sword Coast in d mm-hmm. or, you know, 1920s Boston or whatever for, for Call of Cthulhu, uh, just because it's it's there and it's standard and, you know, it gives everyone... A common
0: ground right to work with right and I think um, that's probably one of the appeals you know we, we talked about it before uh, in another session about the uh, RP settings of popular franchises where your characters are not the main story that's told in that setting yeah uh, Star Wars comes to mind
1: yeah, oh, um, Star Wars, is, anything like that, really? Though mm-hmm.
0: Star but, you Wars know, is huge. Dune, right? Uh, Star Trek. You know where, and 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 really to play these games. You know, it is This the setting itself has to be the allure, and you know, do I want I want to play out this character amidst the galactic civil war? You yeah, know,
1: usually, you know, usually for me, it's like. Eh.
0: Right. right, Right. And that made it a little bit more difficult to play Star Wars because I was playing Star Wars with uh, a a group that was not big Star Wars fans. Right.
1: Well, I'll tell you, I like playing uh, Heroes because Mm. the the city of Kirby, while reminiscent of um, Marvel and DC Worlds, is original, and you don't feel like your characters are second fiddle to you know the, the, the regular inhabitants of the universe. Mm-hmm. So even though we are then you know playing the next generation, the replacement heroes, or whatever, I don't feel as if you know, oh, well, you know, oh, Batman is around the corner, even though there's a Batman SP there. Mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't i don't feel like oh well you know oh it's batman hey whereas when we were playing star wars and lando showed up was kind of like oh yay lando Mm -hmm. you know just kind of was like oh he's a big known personality to everyone anywhere who knows what star wars is right um and it kind of makes me feel like our characters were like "Eh, we're like on some side quest Cause you know what happens anyway, <laughs> but like right. with Kirby, it feels, um, you know, like what we're doing matters.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a good, that's a good point. And, and really part of the experience of playing an adventure or, or an RP, you know, campaign is, you know, to feel like you are having an impact on the world.
1: Right. And, and I think there's certain settings that lend it you know famous settings that lend themselves uh better than others Mm. to playing in where you're not going to be overshadowed by the events of of the you know of canon right um and i think not that i really am interested in playing it but i think star trek would be all right because you know nothing the enterprise or any of the whatever's did was like like hugely impactful you know it was like its own little corner of the universe its own little story and those are big characters but
0: um you know kirk didn't blow up the death star right right (laughs) yeah right the skywalker clan didn't overthrow the empire right You know, right. Yeah, so, you guys you guys did strike a major blow in in Star Wars by taking out their uh, biological weapons program, but right. you know, it wasn't the death star. Right, exactly. So you're kind of always in their in their shadow.
1: Yeah. Which was like, and, you know, a lot of people's complaint about Rogue One. Not mine, but that was part of like why, you know, a lot of people who didn't like Rogue One didn't like Rogue One was because it was so tied in to events that were already you already knew the outcome. Of. Mm. So right. like there was no
0: the stakes weren't as um, you know dire or or Solo you know how so- Han Solo turns out right you know you know he makes the Kessel run right and, and you and, know that it's less than twelve parsecs
1: right <laughs> you could put as much like um, exciting you know, up-tempo music in there, and as many, like, twists and turns and close calls. Right. You've it's seen like, Star Wars, and you know Harrison Ford plays Han Solo.
0: Right, you know... <laughs> you know what happens. It, it takes the risk away, so all you're doing, really, is telling uh, an ancillary story. I liked Solo. Right. Personally. Now, if, if but, you can, like... But it is, a, you know, it's an it, unnecessary story, because right. you if know you can how it ends.
1: Have a Star Wars... Um, kind of story in like a section of the the galaxy far, far away that isn't really affected by the huge oversweeping events. Mm. But I mean, that could be traveler. (laughs) Right. Or, or D 20 future, you know, you don't necessarily have to have star Wars. What makes it star Warsy? really is this huge conflict.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Well, really, you know, you're you know, unless you're playing like Knights of the Old Republic or something like that, one of these not fully fleshed out uh, scenarios or playing one of the scorers of Jedi during the Clone Wars um, you know, or playing, you know, bounty hunters in the outer rim or something like that you know there's stories to be told it's just that they're not the grand
1: right and they don't story. they i get the. they don't feel like they matter as much true so but like in a world like punk town where and we'll get into this when we actually talk about punk town mm-hmm. uh, where, where you get um you know there's like multiple main characters that have nothing to do with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, it's so huge and sprawling that you can tell all these different stories and they don't impact on each other. It's, it's very similar to um, what Lovecraft did with his stories. There's like a continuity kind of, but it's very loose. Mm-hmm. And you can tell stories in that, that, that seem to matter. Right, because because you know there's no Skywalker clan <laughs> right. that's taking all the all the it's, good stuff.
0: right. It, it's a setting where there is not tied to something like a monomyth. right. Or... Like
1: even even Conan, mm-hmm. you know, it, and you could I could think there's got to be a thousand stories in um, Hyperborea or Hyborea, um that you can tell that have nothing to do with Conan, but historically. Aren't.
0: Right, right. You could have lots of stories set, and I think that's one of the appeals of of the Conan RPG. And you can have Conan actually come into your your game if you're running something in Hyboria, and he can come in and out of your game and not mess it up because Conan is doing Conan's thing. Yeah, you know, and and kind of like you know, Faerun. Or Greyhawk or whatever, you know, Dungeons and Dragons setting. Um, you know, evil wizards and, you know, ancient artifacts grow on trees. <laughs> they <should laughs> yeah. do. There's like a there's like a little factory up north that just pumps well, out evil wizards.
1: And I, like- I really I really think that's why D has been traditionally popular. Mm-hmm um is because you know you have even like their their standard settings um have i guess events that have happened mm-hmm. um but it almost seems like the players are the movers and shakers of those events
0: yeah yeah that's that's definitely how it goes is you know you're not subordinate to you know some other story. Right. And that helps. And that helps the setting become a character because you're not subordinate to the things that go on. Right.
1: I think I've said more on that subject than I really was planning to.
0: Right. Well, you know, it's it's a fascinating subject and it's something that you know we've brought up several times. Um one really interesting thing that I, I found Was uh, Brendan J. LaSalle's um, the sample dungeon? Sample dungeon. Um, And the main lesson I got from this is recycle. Uh, Brendan talks about how many times he's seen the map used in the AD&D sample dungeon from the dungeon guide. Um, He encountered it years later.
1: Yeah, it's at like you know some guy's game some guy's mm-hmm. table he just like lifted the map and and this that's how the sample dungeon is basically designed mm-hmm. you know they give you like three rooms right
0: yeah they they spell it spells out three rooms and then the gm is supposed to fill in the rest right
1: and they have just tables and everything mm-hmm. uh, to to do that you know you obviously you don't have to use those and you can use it for whatever you want mm-hmm. um the the module, which technically is not AD&D, just D&D, right. but uh, In Search of the Unknown, B1, right, is uh, kind of like that, too. It's a map, and there's nothing in that map. You have to randomly generate the denizens of the dungeon.
0: Hence, In Search of the Unknown, because...
1: Yep. So nope. that one, I mean, it changes every time you play it. Right. And different, different GMs will do different things with it.
0: I mean, hell, the the whole point of Dyson's logos is they make maps. Yeah, make maps. You fill them in.
1: It's one guy.
0: Oh, it's one guy. Yeah,
1: Dyson. Dyson is the the that's oh. his name. That Dyson logos.
0: Oh, that's his name.
1: Yep, he's nice. like, he's a map maker. Um, he's very very active in a lot of the D and D groups. On Facebook and uh, he actually did um, shout out to Dyson if you ever hear this uh, he did the maps for uh, the water deep heist dungeon uh, mm-hmm. quest so I think that's what it's called um, dragon heist
0: right yeah, um, dragon which heist
1: just, which wasn't the last thing to come out of uh, Wizards but the thing before that mm-hmm uh, so he did all those maps and uh, the beautifully hand-drawn maps and he also did the um the play maps for um for wizard and melee
0: hmm.
1: so not not the the um not the box maps that come with the set but if you in, if you kicked in an extra whatever and got you know whatever level of pledge you got his play mats so like the rubberized play mats mm-hmm. um, with uh, dyson's art on them his maps instead of the standard or in addition to the standard wizard and melee maps. now so that's really cool as well
0: right dyson also has a youtube channel where you where there are just clips of drawing maps and i am absolutely enamored of the cross-hatching technique like, yeah, he, <laughs> I love that. It looks so awesome.
1: Yeah, he does a really good job. And it's funny because, like, you know, people talk about the reuse of this map um, as the sample dungeon, but no, none of these guys are talking about, like, the art of map making and, and you know, what a good map looks like. Mm-hmm. And as someone who sucks at drawing, mm-hmm. cartography, and all of that, I appreciate a good map.
0: <laughs> i I love to draw maps. Um, I remember I had a piece of graph paper uh, in a folder. Um, you know for those of you who don't know, part of my workflow in creating campaigns is I have all my campaign related material in a Manila folder that I carry around with me. And you know, in spare moments at work, I might throw together an NPC or, you know, bullet point out the session for that night. Uh, one day, there was a loose piece of graph paper in my folder, and I sat there and, in between phone calls and invoices, drew a dungeon, drew a map, because that I just love it. Um, but, but there was the- there was one for Cursed Earth that I did that I actually got out a paintbrush and and inked. Ink the lines of the dungeon with a brush, just oh, really to do cool. it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and th- there's no hard and fast rule that says for your game that you can't use a dungeon that someone else drew.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, you can you can borrow. Du- you can you can go and find um, dungeons. I, I think there's there's an active fan community. Where people create modules for, you know, we're, you know, this book particularly, by and large, talks about commercially available modules, but there is a fan community that creates adventures and modules and maps and things, uh, just for you to use in your home it's, game. It's like it, I made this map for my campaign. Uh, I'm not going to use it again. Here it is. Have fun. Yeah, it's
1: it's, it's kind of like um, the the old DC uh, method. Of, of publishing, where um, you'd get a a cover concept, make a story out of this. Here's right. here's a, here's a dungeon. Mm-hmm. Make it make a module out of it.
0: Right. You know to build your own module. Robin dies at dawn, <laughs> <laughs> and boom, there you go. You got a module. And and, and going back to settings, um, where you feel like you're second best. It you know, DC Adventures. yeah another role-playing game unless you create an entirely fictional comic book city you know what's the point of playing a superhero in gotham yeah or metropolis
1: unless you're actually playing like well in dc adventures
0: you're you can play as as the the main characters it's just like in uh marvel superheroes the the old uh face rip um version they actually encouraged you not to create new characters, but to play existing Marvel characters.
1: Right, which makes sense. I don't know if that's as fun, but I mean, I guess that's when you were a kid, that's what you did. Yeah. I want to be Spider Man. Okay. You ran around with a cape. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm, Going up, up, and away. Yep, yeah, I'm Superman. Mm-hmm. Ting, ting, ting. You know, uh, you know the bullets didn't work. Why the punching? That that sort of uh that sort of thing. Uh let's see. What else we got here? We got uh Oh, here's here's one that's very important, uh, especially if you're a Call of Cthulhu player. And this was from playtesting a legend, James M. Ward, uh, who got to play test an early version of Isle of the Ape and their main lesson was don't fight everything not every encounter is meant to be combat
1: no one to hold them no one to fold them no one to walk away
0: and no no one one to run run. like hell Yeah.
1: which you know um, yeah i like to fight everything (laughs) yeah I mean there's I, I, I totally get uh that you know some encounters are designed to be thought around mm-hmm. or you know run away from or suck around or, or you know not fought through right yeah i like to fight through mm-hmm. it's uh, it's my first you know it's my first impulse
0: it is it, it is your first impulse is roll initiative
1: yeah i mean because you know like i said i I played D and D, you know, in the early eighties
0: when that's what it was all about. Yeah. I and mean, we yeah. called it hack and Slay. Yep. Go inside and you know, kick in the door, get the treasure. Yep. I mean, geez, that's what Munchkin's all about. Mm-hmm. Yep. Munchkin is uh, a parody of that, that style of play. But yeah, it's, it's like, um, you know, not every encounter is meant to be straight-up combat. Right. And I've done that to you guys several times. Where I will create a, an encounter that's not meant to be fought out of. Yeah. And, and for, for better or worse, sometimes... Uh, Sometimes someone has to die to realize <laughs> before you realize. Usually Wes. Mm. Um, let's see. There was the one in Star Wars where you guys met the the commander, the Imperial Intelligence Commander, um, who was actually there as a hologram droid. And I thought it might have been Matt that went down first. Right.
1: Well that was Wes was going to um Wes was going to betray us.
0: Yes. But he made it so easy. Um one thing that I didn't see mentioned uh in this in this series of essays was giving the opportunity for each character to um kind of you know shine a little bit you know give give everybody something that to do that that they're good at or their own moment in the story like a disgraced imperial aviator who wants to get back in the good graces of the empire
1: yeah that is a difficult
0: thing to achieve when Mm -hmm. you when you're just writing an adventure Right. Well, yeah, that's, that's something that the, the GM has to do. But actually,
1: um, the Salt Marshmallow talks about that. It doesn't talk specifically about every player mm-hmm. um, having uh, something to do, but it talks about every, every class having something to do. There was things for thieves to do, and things for magic users to do, and things for fighters to do. Right. And, I, and that, I, I actually try actively to do that when um when i'm writing stuff i like to have multiple um ways around problems like how would a um an investigative character go around this um how would you know a rich character um, go around this you know how would a fighting character solve this problem And, and i try and and make it so that you know there's multiple avenues to get through there's no one correct way to to get through an issue an encounter or a problem well maybe not an encounter but you know researching and stuff like that right right so that, that if you don't have um you know a guy with high library use uh, you're not going to be stuck right because nothing sucks more than you know, you know oh no, no one took fast talk
0: Mm -hmm. Well see and that that becomes one of my problems. I've tried a couple of times to actually uh, Sit down and write something possibly for submission or for you know the repository or the GM's guild and I find myself uh, As I'm writing um, Because I play with you guys so much um, That what you guys will do because you know we all play similar characters whenever we're going in you know depending on the setting right we have we have certain archetypes that we lean toward when we play and i tend to you know right i i remember specifically i was sitting there uh trying to write one and getting to a point where well you know, at this point, Steve would do this. So, what what would the bossy uh, punk do? No, it was a it was a <laughs> to scenario. So it would be the Steve character, um, or the West character, or the Lily character. You know what each, and I and you start thinking of what players would do and what certain archetypes would do, right? And and you come up with these these if then, and you can't really fill up your scenario with so many if thens but like you said you try to keep it kind of open right so that like you know know, like different solutions can get you to the same point
1: right Like i usually have like um like there's a bit of information i want to 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 get out there Mm -hmm. so there it could be in an old news article right or you know a random strange not a random stranger but somebody you talk to can have that information Mm-hmm. Right, or you can beat it out of like a henchman or something You know, right. just that there's like just this is the information that you need to have uh, It's not going to be like folded up and hidden in like an obscure book in the bed. I mean it can be But if you don't find that well, then you don't have that bit of information Right, but if like, you know, it's there or it can be you know, like in the morgue of, of a newspaper Mm-hmm you know, and, or in like some random, you know, like you, the librarian. Oh, I happen to have been reading that, you know, just the other day, or what, you know, right. something like that. Mm-hmm. Just so that, like every every type of player
0: or every type of character has something to do. Right, and that and that also kind of calls in the the point we made earlier about. Uh, the GM, you know, being open and being able to uh, move, twist things around, move things around as, as necessary to accommodate the, um, you know, the individual players right? You know, who might go through, you know, doing something a little bit different. They might go to the live, you know, you wrote it as a library use role, but Ryan's right. not playing, so nobody has library use. Right.
1: Well, it's <laughs> like, it's like this. If you're playing Doom, mm. right, and you need to get the red key card, right, the red key card is only in one place. You have to right. like, go and do a certain task to get that key card, right. If you're playing D&D, you have to get the uh the red key to the door. Right. And, you know, the the module says it's in a certain place and you have to do a certain thing to get it, but you never go near that place. Well, that key, really you're the GM you could put that key anywhere you want. Mm -hmm. You could stick that key anywhere you want. And as long as there's enough of a, you know, a challenge to get that key, I have no problem at all with giving you that key.
0: Right. Except for, unless it's white plume mountain and you (laughs) just survived a death trap to get a key out of a room, but the key is hidden Inside of a pot hanging from the ceiling. Who puts their keys there?
1: E. Gary Gygax.
0: <laughs> you go. He's like, okay. Uh,
1: oh shit! I'm late for my meeting. Honey, where are my car keys?
0: Dad, I uh, lock my keys uh, out of the did,
1: house. Did you, did you check the, uh, the third pot hanging from the ceiling from the left? <laughs> no, that's the one that has the burning oil in it.
0: Dad, I locked myself out of the house again. Well, you know what you have to do. Oh, Dad, I don't want to go in the garage again. I don't want to have to like to power through the laser grid. I was in that. I had. Do you know how painful tetanus shots are from the spike pit by the front door? <laughs> you know, it's almost like they live in Raccoon City. Right,
1: Dad. Did you put the key in the in the blue liquid? the yellow liquid or the clear liquid i can't remember what does the poem say
0: <laughs> what is the poem <laughs> what poem well i guess you'll have to find the poem to find the key to house. dinner's at six but uh yeah i mean you know that that type of guy logic um and we we make fun of it but that that's what the entire Game of Resident Evil is all about. It's like Gary Guygax the video game.
1: Yeah, well, like all of those
0: games utilize that, mm-hmm.
1: and that's kind of fun for a video game, right? It's kind of. It's, but, but video games are so much are linear, right? They um, are. Whereas, whereas, you know, role playing games don't have to be, right? And oftentimes aren't.
0: That's true. That's true. You can you can have. a a railroad or a linear dungeon where you go in one side and you come out the other and you have a series of encounters. Um, but yeah, I, I, think part of what makes role playing role playing is, is the fact that there are, you know, there's at least the illusion of choice. Uh, even if as a GM, you've written it, that whether you go left or right, you're in the room with the red key card because you need the red key card to go through the center passageway, you know, and the, as a player, you don't need to know that. Well, you go left. Well, then the first thing you get is the red key card. You go, right. The first thing you get is the red key card. You go and you want to go back to the left. Exactly. You put something else in that room.
1: Exactly. Um, which kind of brings up, uh, John Hook's point mm-hmm. um because his was the um uh, random dungeon generator, right uh because you know it, it's once again it's like a thing where you have um not only are you randomly filling these rooms but you're randomly generating the dungeon, and this is in the first edition p m g as well
0: right, the but, uh, uh, appendix a and it's been in appendix a for each subsequent edition i believe
1: yeah so you can uh put anything in there
0: and you know you could
1: create it on the fly or you can create it and populate it how you want to populate
0: it Mm -hmm. um
1: so there you go yeah and that's that's fun now Um, Now we come to a couple of really weird ones. Yeah. Which is, um, my favorite adventure must have been Homegrown by Merle M. Rasmussen, um, where he basically says that his favorite adventure was a top secret module that he created. And he taught himself everything he knows. So we're going to just skip over that one, because what the fuck? Right. (laughs) (laughs) the second one was my all-timey favorite adventure ever by Chris Clark which is basically saying it was something that he wrote and um, for legal reasons can't release (laughs) so uh, but he plays it at um, cons every once in a while so it's kind of like yeah I have a girlfriend but you don't know her because she lives in Canada right that's my favorite dungeon so we'll skip that one too because you know it. Actually, you know, if you read the essay, it sounds like a really cool dungeon, right? But but
0: you wouldn't know her because she lives in Canada. Exactly. <laughs> um, which brings us, other than uh, Mr. Goodman's essay himself, which really kind of leads into the main book in the series that we're going to be discussing next time. Uh, the the second to last essay. Is a look at Castle uh, Castlemania? No, Castle White Rock. Castle White Rock. Whatever. yeah, White Rock. Yeah, that is, uh, and that is pretty much the culmination because it is a mega dungeon. Yeah, uh, one of the, one of the early ones, or uh,
1: it's uh, more five. recent. Yeah, it's from mm-hmm. three five, so it's like mid nineties, right? That's mm-hmm. Three five was mid nineties. No,
0: yeah. uh, late nineties, early two thousand. Yeah.
1: Which I've never played because um, I never really played three and a half,
0: three. Right, you're not a big fan of third edition. No. Um, and this is pretty much the culmination of all the advice offered in this book of essays because this is it's a mega dungeon. There's something for everyone. But the main takeaway I got from that essay was simply. Kind of like some of the others, it's just the experience of role-playing a uh, of, of fun adventure uh, with your friends, making making memories, which is kind of weird because, you know, you didn't actually kill the dragon. You pretended to kill the dragon. <clears throat> but role-playing is one of those types of activities where you do feel kind of like you're living living through these adventures
1: yeah um i think he one one of the key things that he liked about this it was like really part of me uh super involved just the design of it uh Mm -hmm. there were like whole parts that you can you know miss out on um if you went to you know one path versus another path you know you go down two levels um You know, and and
0: deal with the encounters there when it's just so huge. Right. So huge that really it doesn't play the same way twice. Right. And there's something in there for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Which, you know, like we were saying, that's something you want to do is make it appealing to as many people as you can uh, so that people have fun. Mm -hmm. You know, what I enjoy about role playing games um, and what makes it fun for me. It's going to be different than you or Lily or Wes or Nick or Matt or Beck, you know, or John Hook or, you know, um,
0: Oscar Rios. Which I can tell you, it's not puns.
1: No, Oscar does <laughs> not like puns. Um, <laughs> well, maybe he does. He just doesn't like them in Kalkatula.
0: Um, Or he likes them too much. You know,
1: and yeah, what we enjoy about role-playing games is going to overlap, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, to appeal to as wide of a base
0: as possible,
1: you know, is you can't go wrong with that,
0: right? Well, I mean, and and if you have a group, and you have a regular group, you know, there's always there's always that the 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 players' antics themselves. It's like. You know, one of the fun things, you know, about you know playing with Wes in Call of Cthulhu is what, you know, crazy scheme is he going to fail at fast talking his way into?
1: Right. I guess that's fun for you.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's, it's what, fun, when, fun when, for me
1: when you're on the um you, you when you're on his team. <laughs> it's it's not quite as fun. Well, I think it's, <laughs> when you have to deal with the aftermath as a player. Well, it's it's kind of it is definitely amusing when you're running the thing.
0: Right. Right. Well, I I enjoy it even even as a player. Um, you know, Nippon No Kage when he was playing the corrupt cop. You know, how is he what is he trying to do now? Or or the fake priest. Udo. Yes, you know, it's like You know, what is he going to do and how are we going to get ourselves out of it? You know, it's like, dude, uh, hey, come here, buddy. If, if you want you something, if you want conflict,
1: invite Fire. Wes to play it at your table. He could definitely provide
0: you with conflict. I take off my jacket so I can fight him like a gentleman, I punch him in the face. <laughs> While he's taking off his jacket. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, I you know, that. that's, that's always part, that's part of the experience though, of, of role playing is, you know, not just the adventure is also how the characters solve the adventure or get themselves in the even worse trouble during the adventure. Because there's always, there's occasionally there's certain adventures, um, you know, and I did this in uh, Cursed Earth, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, you've done it a couple of times too, where there's the one item in the room that you do not touch.
1: Yeah, Wes will touch that.
0: Yeah, and and you put it there because you know the character. But you know, you would, I would, I would place that sphere of annihilation into a published version of Cursed Earth simply because there's always a player that will touch it.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, look at uh, Tomb of Tomb, Tomb of Horrors. Horrors. <laughs> I mean, everyone knows about the Sphere of Annihilation and Tomb of Horrors. I mean, it's, you know, infamous. Mm-hmm. It's on the cover of, right. of, you know, of the reprint.
0: Mm-hmm. It's the <laughs> most, one of the most iconic images in Dungeons & Dragons.
1: If, if you look at the, um, um, the the new one they put out, um mm-hmm.
0: uh yawning portal or that annihilation that one yes um
1: the the little symbol they use on the spine mm-hmm. is, is the sphere of annihilation yep yeah so uh, i it, it's it's
0: you know it's iconic
1: but someone's gonna do it sorry right. gonna stick their head in there or
0: it's it's a, a time honored tradition of all RPG groups is when there is an opportunity for a player to do or a character to do something absolutely stupid.
1: It will happen.
0: It will happen. And that makes for the great memories. Yeah. And um, and really that's 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 what a lot of these these essays and suggestions boil it down to is like the, the, the main thing that, that all of these modules have in common was it was just a, a fantastic experience to play, to play it, to run it, to do both. Um, you know, it is just a, good times and good memories, and that's what this hobby is all about.
1: and you can actually get
0: this book
1: it was it was a bonus from the kickstarter this mm-hmm. book so it's very
0: short it's like 30 32 pages i believe
1: yeah um you can get it i don't know if it's for a limited time or what uh, from goodman Games' site and we will link to that as well mhm and
0: uh, Yep, we'll, we'll include a link to that in the description of the podcast. Yeah, it's, like, it's like ten bucks. It's like ten. <laughs> it's it's worth it's worth reading, uh, especially in tandem with how uh, great adventure modules that don't suck. Yes, uh, which will we we will be covering next time on Microphones of Madness. Uh, don't forget, keep thirty, uh, keep thirty. Uh, like the podcast if you found any of our advice or stories. Uh, interesting, you know, tell your friends word of mouth, shares on social media and stuff like that, that does have an impact.
1: Yep, if you think we're full of shit, and you just want to laugh at us,
0: you know. That's fine too, Hey, Same like,
1: thing, tell your, tell your friends about the buffoons.
0: That's right, uh, and if you like RPs, we have a lot of great ones coming up uh, to be released in the next few weeks, so... Yep. Yep. Like and subscribe. And don't forget to check us out Saturday nights on Twitch. Um, We are currently doing Gamma World. We might still be doing it by the time this episode hits the air. Yep. Uh, So definitely check us out there if you want to see us in action, live, and uncensored. Yes. All right. So, yep. Like Steve said, keep 30 luck points.